Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Jenny Nelson. And I'm Mark Jeeves. And this podcast is called Reproducer. A chance for you to hear us talking to radio producers about the work they do and the way that they do it. There are some shows on the radio that can be described as legendary. And the one we're going to talk about in this episode is such a show. It is Woman's Hour, now in its 76th year. And our guest is the BBC producer, Sarah Crawley. It really, truly is a collaboration. There's no way around it. If you can't communicate and collaborate, there's not much point being a radio, really. The presenter is the person who is the face of and the voice of the programme, and they, if they demand a high standard, I think that's reasonable. So as you'll hear, Sarah describes herself as a BBC lifer. She tells us about her work at Radio 4 programmes, mainly Women's Hour, also a stint at the World Service as well. She talks us through her proudest moments in her job as a producer, what a typical day involves working on Women's Hour, the future of radio in her eyes, and she tells us a bit about the importance of diversity of thought and the fun she had at the Arias when Emma Barnett, host of Women's Hour, won Speech Presenter of the Year. And so we started off by asking Sarah uh, how long she'd worked as a producer on Woman's Hour. Reproducer. Reproducer. This time I've worked on Woman's Hour for two and a half years, but that's a bit misleading because it's the first place I ever worked when I joined the BBC as a trainee 20 years ago. Oh, wow. So my first experience of radio was Woman's Hour. And I'm very grateful for that because I wasn't there very long that first stint. You know, we moved around a lot within Radio 4 because I was specifically a Radio 4 trainee, but it really stayed with me. And so this is my fifth tour of duty, possibly my sixth, I think, with Woman's Hour. I always seem to come back to it. I spent a long time on World Service kind of in the middle of all of that. So I think the reason that people, you know, 76 years on since it started are still tuning in and, you know, and tell us exactly what they think of of the programmes every day through all our different mechanisms, um, but, you know, hugely appreciate us, is because I think it's that we're fearless. That's something that has been passed, if you like, sort of the baton's been passed on from producer to producer, presenter to presenter, is that whatever topic we're doing, um, and obviously there's a lovely mix of topics every day, 
that yeah that we approach it with fearlessness and I think that that sort of covers everything from talking about women's health in completely straightforward terms um without embarrassment uh to holding politicians to account in all the different arenas in which women are affected and I think there's something about how live it is I mean I know we obviously are talking about radio generally but I think you know we are genuinely live so um when I first started there would be more tape you know there would be some features um playing out and we would you know but but and we obviously we still use audio to great effect but I think you know Emma Barnett's on air for a full hour and it's just her and her guests and I think there's something about that that means the listeners know that they can actually have an impact so they can interact and you know we, we sort of done that in many ways over the years but now it's even more so with all the different you know we've, all, we've just recently got whatsapp functionality so that's our latest thing we've added to the emails and everything else so um and obviously texts and tweets but uh yeah so I think they feel like they can take part and that it's a it's a kind of um I think women and you know a lot of our audience are also men but I think they feel it speaks for them I have a particular affinity with it my mum is 84 and in 1971 I spoke about this yesterday in 1971 she was so moved by a feature she can't actually remember what it was on on woman's hour that she actually phoned she my mum wouldn't say boo to anything right so she phoned the bbc and a researcher called her back and she was on the phone on woman's hour in 1971 and that's, that's the amazing. only thing and i know it is amazing and and to think about that and and that has that program stayed with her all this time so mm. that enduring appeal i think you're right it's just about being accessible and its accessibility has always been something yeah different different methods and different ways change but it's been there since from a time when you thought actually you know it was this was a male dominated programming schedule right exactly and i also think there's something about the fact that you know day in day out people come on to our program and they tell us the most important story of their lives yeah that i think that's for me as a producer that's why i get the satisfaction i do out of working on it that's the element of it well let's find out a bit more about you as a producer what drew you to radio then in the first place bearing in mind as you said women's are the very first thing you walked in and, and did which is quite big isn't it right? yeah it is um i mean i did i got in on quite a competitive trainee scheme um 20 years ago so i my background is is completely i, I never really did anything media wise um before i joined uh, the bbc so i had I'd done a history degree uh, at glasgow and then i had uh, done a couple of different jobs in policy and research and I was actually working for um, Centrepoint, the homelessness charity, at the time when I joined the BBC. And um, I think I, what I realised was that for me personally, I wanted to be a journalist and that was the medium that I wanted to be a journalist in. So I think that's the way round it went. And I was a massive Radio 4 listener. I was just an avid listener. And that's, you know, I think most people would say, if you're going to be a producer, you have to be a listener first and work out what you like. So that was my attraction. And I think it hasn't changed really my what drew me to radio, which is that it's at its simplest, it's one person talking to another person. And you as the listener are that one person that who's being spoken to. Uh, you've clearly done a lot of things and you say you're on it's your sixth tour of duty. I like the way you put called it tour of duty. Would you have a proudest moment as a radio producer, bearing in mind, you know, you you've taken it back to its simplest form, one person talking to another. What would be your proudest moment? Mm. So I think giving women a voice who were having babies during lockdown right. so um we I came back to Women's Hour because of Covid to this time I was working on World Service Women's program called The Conversation which I was hugely proud of and I worked on that for five years and it was you know I could tell you almost every week I was proud of every episode we did there 
but then I was asked to come back to Women's Air because all hands on deck and we're trying to work out how to make live radio programs with most people at home suddenly, which obviously everyone had to do at that point in March 2020. And after a couple of months back, we suddenly realised we'd done a we'd done a couple of things about maternity services, but we suddenly realised we just hadn't reflected the experience of women who were either pregnant, had given birth or about to give birth in the middle of an unprecedented pandemic in the UK. So we cleared the Bank Holiday Monday programme at the end of May 2020. And we couldn't do a phone in because we couldn't have that number of people in to answer the phones. So we did, uh, we put the shout out to our listeners the week before and we got their stories in and then we, you know, we got them up on the line and we just effectively opened the show to women's experiences. And it was, I think it was the most, yeah, I think I definitely came off air that day and thought we'd done something quite special and something that no, you couldn't imagine hearing it anywhere else. Mm. Um, And there was one woman who we actually got back then a few months later because to find out how she got on because she had been in a position where she'd had to give birth on her own um having not expected to be in that position at all and um and she really captured the listeners you know hearts if you like um because she also nearly died from complications um so it was a real sort of like okay so covid means a lot of different things to different people but this this really seemed to capture something and radio during that time it, it, more than any other time was you know a proper companion in the room and an ability to connect when you just couldn't you couldn't go out anywhere so absolutely because we never came off air I'm sure Mm, you know like you guys we never came off air and so the number of calls I've never had so many calls from people I know saying thank you basically for staying with us um and just being there every day yeah brilliant thank you I'm fascinated to hear how much input the listeners have not just responding to questions that are put out by you and the presenter, but just the input that they seem to have and mm. how you, the production team, values the listeners. Is that something that was kind of taught in your early training or is it just that an innate part of producing the programme is taking the listeners' comments on board and allowing the listeners to have some influence over the content of, of the programme? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that we've always done um, and it is really important. So, yes, if new people join, we're very clear that, you know, follow something up if it comes in to the inbox and it looks really interesting um so so it will be done on an individual basis of you know what the stories we get in but then it will also be we have a structure to it as well so we have a listener week every summer so for a whole week of august uh, the whole program for the whole week is dictated by what listeners want to hear and um so we sort of literally throw open the schedule to them and it means that topics get aired which otherwise perhaps wouldn't um because they're not in the news and obviously we are a, a journalistic program and so we are we're looking for a top line and you know and a peg and everything for a story so it's one week a year where we don't have to do that we don't have those pressures and so different stories can come in and um so we have a massive amount of of listener involvement in that week but we absolutely spread it throughout the year and very often our best stories come from listeners we find um because they again they trust us they trust us to look after their story and they sometimes they tell us things that they wouldn't tell to their closest friends and family and we anonymize them and you know, I'm doing a story like that at the moment and it's very complex how the anonymity isn't just about taking out names and places and, and unidentifiable things like that and or even just removing someone's voice. It's actually thinking really broadly beyond that. And that, so we have a real duty of care to our listeners when they trust us with their stories, which can be broader than you think. And just, just going back to you you again and your, your sort of personal career development and personal training, are there specific individuals who you could credit as having been the biggest influences 
on your career, either people you've worked directly with or just people who you've sort of seen and heard about and found them inspiring? I'm going to cop out of this one. <laughs> I'm really sorry. But I just think one of the beauties of my career, which has entirely been at the BBC and in the department I'm in, in fact, apart from a couple of brief stints um, elsewhere, has been the teamwork. So, and the variety of teams that I've worked in. So if I started to name people, I would then have to name about 25 or something in terms of colleagues and presenters and, and editors and so on. So I think the way I'll answer that is to say that the team I'm in now is kind of extraordinary. And to have worked on the programme at a time when we changed, you know, quite a lot of things about it, although lots of things have stayed completely the same, um, when Emma Barnett took over as a you know, the presenter Monday to Thursday and then Anita on a Friday. So that was a completely new regime. And it's been it's been incredible really to work on a program kind of reshaping itself um, because we then went from 45 minutes to an hour 18 months ago. And that's been I think I've I've almost flexed the muscles of how to be a producer more in that time than than in, you know, than in previous times. It there's something about that that makes you all sort of go back to basics and say, okay, how can we make this the best we can make it? What are the ways we're doing it? Can we tweak them? Can we change them? And how do we work as a team? Um, and I also think having worked on a team with this team through the pandemic has been, you know, it's been inspiring because everybody has supported each other. And that's, you know, and we've had to do that in ways we weren't expecting. And so I think there was no one specific person and no one specific kind of radio personality, if you like, who I joined the radio world for. And I think I'm I'm happy with that because it really, truly is a collaboration. There's no way around it. If you can't communicate and collaborate, there's not much point being in radio, really. Very good point. Sticking with that, are there any specific moments you can recall that you would put down that were key lessons for you? in learning about the role of a producer, any significant lessons that you can pinpoint? So I think it can mean so many different things being a producer. That's in effect what my most significant lesson is that if you kind of walk in and think it's all about, you know, getting items to air or it's all about live radio or it's all about beautiful recorded features, it's not one thing. And one of the lessons, I think I, think I learned that the most when I was on World Service and making programmes that were going out, you know, to a much broader audience and but in English. And the challenges that that you came up against in that role as a producer were completely different to the ones that you would have here, say, in, in domestic radio. So that was really useful contrast to have to be able to say, and I, I brought back skills from working on World Service um, to domestic without any doubt. And I want to do a bit of a shout out, really, I suppose, which rolls up with the previous question about people who've you know, been influences. I think our world service languages journalists, the bilingual, trilingual, quadrilingual, some of them, you know, that's probably not enough to cover it, doing their absolute best work, often in really difficult circumstances. They're incredible. And the few chances I've had to work with them, they've helped me out on things, you know, translation and interpretation work. Um, when I was working on programs like Outlook and the forum and the conversation, or just asking them for advice. I now go to them when I need something on a really big story here. So um, there's a BBC Women's Affairs reporter in the Near East is um, Faranak Amidi. She's based here. She's an Iranian journalist. And we talk to her regularly now about the protests that are happening in Tehran and all around Iran after the death of Maso Amini. Um, there's a similar journalist, you know, who works across the Afghanistan brief. And those um, female journalists in particular, I think are just, they're extraordinary. And 
I think they're everything about what the BBC offers to the world, really. Um, yeah, so I think, I, yeah, so this is a random way of saying, I think that the most significant lesson to learn is that you can be so many different things and sometimes simultaneously. That's an interesting point. One of the things we've asked guests on this show is to define the role of a producer. And you, you've kind of started to do that by saying, as you say, there are so many different things. If you had to write down some of the attributes, if, if it was someone new coming in, what'd you, what would you say? I think you are a story engine, first and foremost. That's in my, the type of radio producing I do, you are constantly looking for stories, coming up with stories. Sometimes you're generating them yourself. Sometimes you're, you know, drawing back into your hindbrain and thinking, who was that person I spoke to five years ago? They'd be good for this. You know, so you're a story and a contributor and machine. And that's first and foremost. And then I think as you go along, you develop the editorial judgment to work out, okay, but are they the best stories? Is that the right person? Is the timing right? Is the length of that story going to work? Do we need to add something else to it? You know, those kind of judgments about, first of all, what should go on air and then what works on air, what entertains people, what isn't going to bore people, what is going to keep people's attention, what is going to give them the balance, you know, editorially on a controversial topic, what is going to um, surprise people. Those things come with time, I think, but they mainly come from being curious and from listening. So I think part of the role of a producer is to listen to output, but also to your team. Yeah, I think maybe it's it's useful to distinguish them between producer and presenter, and it works differently in different um, places and different programs. But certainly here on Women's Hour and on most Radio 4 programs, you are getting everything to the point where it goes to air. And you're often then, you know, if you're like me, an output producer, you are then overseeing it while it's on air from the cubicle. But the presenter is where the buck stops for the listener. So your job really is to make sure the presenter has absolutely everything they need and at the right point and in the right format to be able to do their job, which is, you know, to be the voice and to be the, the brain that delivers that to, to the listener. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Reproducer. One thing would be interesting to get your thoughts on is the presenter... Uh, as you said, you've recently the show's gone through a you know significant change. Uh, before that, there was a legend on this show, Jenny Murray, who was you know synonymous with that program, but also just with being one of the most empathetic and listenable people that you can have on the radio. I think, and Emma is is exactly that as well. And that's been a tough job for her to try and follow, I guess. But at the same time, she's done it very well with people like Jenny Murray. Though, do you? Uh, I mean, talent management is also part of it. Um, well, what are your experiences of it with sort of big stars and with emerging stars? My experience, and it goes back to what I was saying about the role of the producer in terms of kind of uh, and the, and where it meets with the presenter, is that you, if you do everything that you are supposed to do as a producer and you do it in a way 
that has been agreed, if you like, that we know works for for that particular presenter, um, then I don't think you can go wrong. I think that it's there is a, a come back again to the fact that the buck stops with the presenter as far as the listener is concerned. Mm. They might hear your name at the end. They don't really know what you do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And and you know, on World Service, my name was never at the end, so no one I get away with anything if I wanted to but the presenter can't the presenter is the person who is the face of and the voice of the program and they if they demand a high standard I think that's reasonable yeah I get that one of our guests recently said uh, that they could they can't still don't, their mum still doesn't know what they do they're a radio producer have been in this mum still has no idea what they do so let's try and flesh <laughs> okay. that out a bit could you t- talk us through a typical day as a producer and then yeah. we'll see if we can work out what yeah might so be. um today for example so i came in i was the backup producer today um so that means that i am looking at the papers on my way in um on my phone probably listening to the today program because we need to make sure we follow on from them rather than repeat you know we don't want listeners who are listening all day to ready for and we know they do that to end up having to listen to the same thing exactly so we we leave a slot every day for a topical story and we come in and we have an early morning meeting where we discuss that um, and what what the different options are and we usually chase at least two probably and then it narrows down as you realize who you're going to get and what story is going to be and there's a small team of us in doing that and then once that's been established, who that's going to be, then you obviously, you know, in these modern times, you send them a Zoom link to take part. Or if you're lucky, they happen to be nearby and they come into the studio. And and what time is your early morning meeting to serve interest? So the early morning meeting um, now is at 7.30. Wow. Yeah. So it's an early your, show. Your show's, your show's airtime is? 10 o'clock. Just to, sorry, just to jump in, can you also give what is the team? How many people? Who are the? What are the role titles? Sure. So, the, in terms of the on-air team each day who are coming in and being in that early morning meeting, you've got your, you've got the editor, you've got uh, the presenter, obviously, uh, you've got the output producer, who's the person who's going to be sitting across the whole program in the studio. Um, you've got the backup producer, which is me, and then we have something called the on-the-day producer, and that can be either a producer or an assistant producer. So that's the core team in terms of editorial. We also then have our production coordinator, who we couldn't do it without, and we also have a studio manager, engineer. So that's the on-air team. Uh, beyond that, though, you have a whole host of people who are, who are working at home, and they'll be doing the next day's program, the next day's program. So we've got obviously that all sort of intermingles. Um, but yes, I mean that largely we have a uh, we have producers, assistant producers, production coordinators, um, editor, and content editor. So you've had your meeting from seven thirty, and you you discussed the content that you're going to. You got your contributors going. So once the contributors have been confirmed, um, obviously we've got to write script um, in collaboration with the presenter, and that really is a kind of back and forth process, as it usually is with any item. Um, and then you've also got your planned items, which we have, we know we're doing, and we've known since the day before. So they're all sort of there, but need to be looked at and checked. And any questions for the people who are doing those items can be sort of flushed out. And then yeah, and then we make sure we've got all our technicals. You know, everyone who's going to be on Zoom is tested and can hear them all right, and all of that sort of thing. And then, um, and if they're coming into the studio, then you know they've been met down at reception. So it's, it all becomes it becomes a little bit more of a practical. Uh, sort of exercise from a certain point in the morning and then um, yeah and then obviously we go on air at 10 and we've got a lovely studio up on the eighth floor of, of broadcasting house where um, we can where we're visualized so that's um, that's another new thing since we you know had the, the presenter change and um, and that is uh, that's great because then we can get clips out on social media after the program um, which our digi team do who are amazing so they're another separate little bit of women's hour and um 
yeah so we so we're on air so if i take the role of output producer while we're on air that your main concern at that point is that everybody gets on air <laughs> um that what they say on air is legally and editorially safe mm-hmm. so you know there's a potential of a libel you need to be getting on to your presenter and i mean almost always pick it up without you needing to but that is a you know if you're going to talk about a fundamental role of a, of a producer it's to make sure that we um you know that we don't say things we can't support with evidence on air and um and are you live live just after or are you on a delay i know we're live it's okay so so yeah that's something that's a real real time decision making yeah exactly exactly and that involves obviously that means very very um you know fast comms as well between Mm. you and the presenter Mm. and potentially the editor as well so that's that and then and timings 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 yes so making sure that that everything's got the right amount of time within that hour um and then if you feel like maybe you need to you need something else you know making it all fit basically and then coming out on time that's very important we don't crash the pips on Women's Hour like they do on the Today programme if they come out late, but we do crash um, <laughs> all the time our continuity people have to get into the next programme. So we we try very hard not to do that. We come out exactly when they ask us to. How daunting exactly was it the first time? Can you remember your first time as Output you, you think I don't remember the first time I live produced Women's Hour? It was four months after I started. Wow. Um, yeah. Ah, I've always been quite good at it. That's what I would say. I came from a theatre background in terms of interest. So I hadn't worked in the theatre, but I'd always done drama and theatre and performing and uh, and actually backstage stuff more importantly, which I think, because I think stage managing is very similar to um, radio producing. But anyway, yeah, so I actually was a bit like, yeah, let me at it. So they did, they let me. They, but the BBC is amazing. It just, you know, they do train you and they do give you those opportunities if you seem willing and able to take them so yeah I think the first one I did was with Martha Carney she used to present Women's Hour on a Friday when I started and it was Valentine's Day uh Valentine's Day 2003 so yes I do remember and it was terrifying but exhilarating and I think that's the thing is what I think actually you only need to do it once to know whether you want to do it again (laughs) even if things go wrong because you still learn from that and it's live radio and things do go wrong and I think the listeners are quite forgiving of it to be honest but they very rarely do go catastrophically wrong I can't think of anything that's gone so wrong that it's been the end of the world but yeah so I I remember coming off air and thinking that's what I want to do that's my uh that's my drug of choice did you crash the pips no 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 definitely not (laughs) my mother was far too professional to have let that happen yeah excellent work do you within the women's hour team are there many trainees or you know what's the most junior role and how do people get in on that level yeah so we do we we're very committed to having um trainees and apprentices so every time i've worked in what was there have been trainees and apprentices are a little bit more recent but actually we had it we had a an uh, intake about 10 years ago so no i mean with the, basically whatever scheme is going people can come to women's hour on it and so there, there are lots of different schemes and um we have amazing junior members of staff who come in from all different kinds of backgrounds and who come with different kinds of stories therefore and different interests in the program and what i would say is that that's brilliant that's absolutely brilliant to come with you know with the usp um and then with that my advice is always just use that to be curious generally to make sure you have a broad base as well so that you can go and work anywhere and you're you've got a good range of skills and stories that you can you can cover but um but yeah so we have amazing stories that come from our if you like i don't don't really like the term junior but um but yes i suppose technically they are new the newest least experienced members of staff can often bring some of the most brilliant stories because i think it's good to have people looking at different sources as well if everyone's just reading the same stuff it doesn't produce much diversity of thought 
Um, and that's something our editor, Karen Diel, is very big on of saying, you know, but diversity of thought is really, really important. Sometimes we'll do, you know, uh, an item that everyone's very keen on. And, it, you know, someone will just be brave and saying, I'm not so sure about the way we're framing that. And then we go back and we think about it again, because it's really, really important that we don't all become, you know, we don't all just agree with each other. Any other, I mean, you've already covered most things, but any other kind of advice for aspiring producers, whether, so, you know, they might apply for the schemes, come armed with new ideas, any other tips or personality traits that you think would be <laughs> beneficial? Mm, personality traits, that's interesting. I'll come to that. The other tips would be, be prepared to be a journalist. I think that that is something that I wanted when I came in and so I was I was eager and hungry for that I think that you know there's a whole side of radio that's that's more entertainment based or more um features based and so if you come in wanting to do that that's amazing a program like Woman's Hour needs journalists so it's it's not rocket science you don't have to have done a journalism degree to be a journalist you simply have to have the right you have to understand where where the kind of main themes are really of being journalistic in the way you approach a story so have you thought about you know think about how you're checking your sources you know what what's the top line of a story just something that simple just being rigorous about um you know finding out who your contributor is and what they've done before understanding where the bear traps can be doing your due diligence um, and duty of care is really really important and all of that comes under the journalism sort of you know umbrella um i mean journalism just means storytelling but doing it in a responsible way, you know, doing it in a way that's ethical and that where you've got that overview, you understand that perhaps not everyone's going to agree with this particular contributor. And, and how do you then think about that editorial balance? And it's it's all in, obviously, it's in the BBC values. And I think generally, I think generally people do understand that. I think it can, it's the bit that is the most fundamental to then be able to springboard into other things. So even if you do go into stuff that, uh, you know, a programme that's not a news programme, your journalism skills will still serve you well, whatever you do. Right. And then personality? <sighs> Again, I go back to the diversity of thought thing. The diversity of personality is actually really important too. Um, you don't want everyone to be kind of doing the same things, thinking the same way. But I think diplomacy is a really important skill. <laughs> I'll go as far as that I think if I think you you know because in any job where you're dealing with different people every day and and like I say people who trust you there will also be moments where there, you know things are really difficult and you have to navigate your way out of a tricky situation you have to deal with someone who's upset for example and being able to be empathetic and diplomatic is uh, Thank key. you. One thing yeah. um, we always ask guests is about the future of radio, which I'm aware is a very uh, big, expansive topic. But I mean, for example, it was fascinating you mentioning about the digital team and obviously how it's how Women's Hour is filmed and what what's done post show with the video content. So that's one element of the future of radio. Any other elements that you think, either for Women's Hour or for radio in general? we'll be doing more of or less of in the future um yeah you wish you had a crystal ball don't you when I started 20 years ago digi meant updating the website now it means 10 12 different things that we didn't even have then we didn't have social media we didn't have um, visualized radio although I think actually there were some cameras in studios back then but yeah it, we didn't have um we didn't have whatsapp you know so it's I feel like we're constantly changing 
that in a way predicting the future is is interesting but i think what radio does is it's like a constant where it just draws in everything else so it it's so sort of go back again to the thing of it being one person talking to another person it just whatever platform you put that on whatever you know other ways you find to reach new audiences for that that's what it fundamentally comes back to and i think that the simplicity of that means it can be very light on its feet so i'm very confident that it can adapt and change to whatever is coming and i think we understand very clearly on women's the, the value of for example you know we, we're on instagram and that's a huge huge important audience for us and that's something that's developed over the last few years and there'll be there'll be something new like that in the future there'll be a new platform that we want to get in on and that will happen i think it's probably a little bit above my level in a way to say what the future of radio is i just love working in it and um and i hope i still am in the future (laughs) (laughs) and what as a listener though i know it's always hard for producers to actually fully take the producer hat off and just enjoy audio as a listener because you know what you know what's going on exactly but what particular programs or other networks or podcasts do you enjoy listening to um yes so i'm going to recommend to everyone listening please listen to the second season of in the dark which is a u.s podcast it's what do you call it i guess it comes under true crime but not in the way that you might think it's a it's a basically one of the most extraordinary investigative journalism podcasts i've ever heard about the conviction of a man in mississippi for a crime he either did or did not commit and i won't give any of it away um but it was an exhausting example where audio can actually change the course of of history i'm really i'm not going to take say, give away any more than that but i think it's an absolutely extraordinary you know program and they have done other things since but that that's the one that i listen to completely avidly and what else could i say i mean i mean obviously i could just plug bbc programs and podcasts endlessly but i would love to put yeah i would love to put a shout out for the conversation on world service which does get incredible guests and the the concept is there's two women who do the same thing who do the same thing in different countries talking to each other and it's as simple as that and as sort of glorious as that and um the, the one of those that i was most excited about and kind of slightly staggered that we managed to do was um Simone Biles the gymnast talking to Nadia Comaneci the other gymnast um from a different generation they actually shared a coach which is a whole other story yeah and that was that was a fascinating one to do but yes so that's a good one to recommend and then I just I still listen quite in a quite a linear way I still just put Radio 4 on when I get home and I just listen until I go to bed pretty much so I and I actually think there's something to be said for that for not knowing what's coming up for not predicting what you're going to listen to and as you know that I don't think that will disappear if we're going back to the future thing I actually think people still like to listen in that way and uh, and it's a good way to sort of challenge yourself to do if you don't normally do that to actually listen like that because it's amazing the things that go in um, and that you you learn without even realizing you're taking them in brilliant and I love your uh, the description of radio is in the middle and everything else comes to it. So all the other the media forms around it are actually, yeah, radio is in the centre of that. I like that. Um, one of the things that uh, we like to uh, do just to close off our podcast here, it's been great to have you on. Thank you for talking to us. I think it's been absolutely fascinating. I think we could talk with you probably for about four hours, but I know that we have other things to do. Um, <laughs> we want to talk about uh, moments in your career that could be summed up by OMG, 
or FFS. <laughs> now you you sound to me like which way round? Well, we'll, we'll do whichever way round you want to go. You sound to me like you're completely in control of everything, but oh, maybe no, no, maybe because... there might be a moment. Yeah, I mean, so that so the FFS would be. I think we've all been here. Um, I went to record an actor at the National Theatre. This was quite early on in my career, not as early as I would like to think. And I was recording them for a Radio 4 programme. And, um, yeah, I got out of, of the uh, interview and realised I hadn't pressed record for the whole thing. Oh. And I'd been squeezed in, squeezed in so, like, tightly into this person's schedule. And... Yeah, no one's really interested if you've forgotten to record something. You just have to go back and do it again. You have to just fall grovel and fall upon the mercy of the people. And in fact, he, he was very, very gracious about it. But yeah, as, as I was listening to all the answers for the second time, I was thinking I really, really wish I hadn't done this. But everyone has. Everyone's yeah. got an experience. Yeah. We've all done it. Yeah. It's, it's like that kind of absolute cold water shock <laughs> moment, isn't it? And you go, oh, no, I couldn't have done this. I have. Yeah, yeah. So that's my FFS. I'm getting to press record. OMG. Uh, OMG. Oh, it was pretty nice going to the Arias this year. That was brilliant. Um, yes, I bet. I got to go with. <laughs> I got picked out of a hat in the team to go with Emma uh, Barnett and Karen Diel to then discover that Emma got speech presenter of the year, which was absolutely brilliant. It just felt like a real. Uh, you know, it was really for the whole team, um, obviously, particularly for Emma, who's extraordinary, was a very, very lovely moment of vindication and validation. No, absolutely. And hats off to her because taking on that job, it's a, such a big job. And she's, yeah, extraordinary, isn't she? Um, yeah. Uh, is there anyone that you haven't worked with, by the way, that you, I know you, you, you talk about the job as it, less in terms of, uh, as you said, about your influences, that you're not individual people. But ha, ha, is there anyone in your in the radio past or? You know, anybody that you think, I wish I could have worked with that person. Have you ever had that? This is going to sound ridiculous. I just think I've been really, really lucky. I've been able to work with just such great teams and such great presenters. And I and I think it's almost like wherever you are is the best. Does that make sense? Like, it's like that photographer expression of, um, you know, the best camera is the one that's in your hand. The best people to work with are the ones you're working with now. And I think, I think I've always felt that. I think I'll do a little shout out for Libby Purvis, who uh, I worked with on midweek back in you know, many years ago. And I think she had this extraordinary way of lifting a script off the page that was unique. And I did, but I did get to work with her and she was brilliant. So, yeah. You've lived your <laughs> dreams. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great to talk with you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. I want to work on the Woman's Hour programme just because it's like, it sounds, I mean, obviously. Good. You know, but it sounds absolutely extraordinary. What an extraordinary thing. What fascinates me is how fresh it still sounds and how, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm actually, I've been listening more to Woman's Hour in the last year than I have for ages. And just, I love, I love how you, the team, come up with different perspectives. I, I was really fascinated with all the programming you did following the death of the Queen and just, how considered you were with female mon monarchs, but also the role of who are the women left and what are they not left, but yes, what are the yes. other women of a high ranking? What, you know, Sophie, Kate, and, and what their yes. roles as well. That was an amazing week or two to work in on Women's Hour, I have to say. Yeah, that, I mean, especially the day after she died, obviously the Queen died on a Thursday evening and, um, you know, I, I won't forget walking into the office the next morning, having 
a number of us just volunteered to come in because we knew we were going to need probably about twice the number of people that morning. And, um, uh, you know, we did that whole program from scratch in the morning. Wow. Um, an hour's worth of content. Gosh. That was special. And, um, um, and, you know, we really wanted to be there. We wanted to help the listeners process what had happened and mm. and pay tribute in their own way. And, um, and uh, you know, we had Tracy Emin on that day and we had Dame Kelly Holmes and it was it was crazy. But then, as you say, kind of later then, kind of when period became more reflective, um, we spoke about the implications and we had Julia Gillard, the Australian former prime minister, on talking about, you know, what might happen there with the Queen as King as head of state. And um, and as you say, talking about the senior women now, the senior women royals and the ladies in waiting and all sorts of things. It's such a, the female lens is such an extraordinary way to do a story differently. And I think that's maybe also why it has you know, it sounds fresh to just sort of reflecting what you were saying, because we're often dealing with stories that people know about, but we're, we're doing them. We're just sort of turning them slightly sideways and um, you get different insights. Reproducer. I thought that was a really interesting point that she made there. But also what I found really fascinating talking to Sarah was about the, the storytelling aspect, because she's a journalist, but uh, as she says, you've actually got to get to the crux of the story. And when you listen to Woman's Hour, that's what it is. Really great stories about real people's lives. And it's just, it's a winning formula, isn't it? Definitely. And I was also really impressed by her duty of care and the duty of care that the production team take when it comes to the listeners and the listeners' responses and their own input as well. Before we go, we would love to point you in the direction of another podcast, this time made by the Radio Academy, the charity that promotes excellence in radio and audio through skills development and knowledge sharing across the industry. The Radio Academy podcast is your chance to hear from colleagues who make brilliant audio, featuring interviews with national radio legends like Scott Mills and Simon Mayo, local radio journalists and podcast and radio producers. There are around 40 episodes to pick and choose from and new episodes are out every Wednesday. So find out more and subscribe now. Just search for the Radio Academy podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reproducer. And remember, if you liked it, then do have a listen to some of the other producers we've spoken to in this series. People like Trevor White, who was a producer back in the day on Capital Radio, working with some real legends like Alan Freeman and Kenny Everett. Or there's Rachel Barton, who now runs Grape Productions. But her story of living her dream by working at Radio 1 is a really great listen. Uh, if you click follow and subscribe, you'll also get new podcasts as we release them. Reproducer. Reproducer. <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.